Welcome to Backroom Talk. Yeah, let's start with uh, the CrossFit Games. That's So that's next week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, James and I will hit this uh, in, in a garage. And between the two of you, who's going to win? Oh, man, I, I hate to go there, you know. Actually, I don't hate to, I'd love to go there. Um, so I think I would beat James in everything. Going online isn't going to save you, right? If you're a terrible online coach or trainer, you're not going to be successful online. Remember seeing like Vin Diesel and you're like, that dude is massive. And you get older and you're like, he wasn't that big. I think young boys <laughs> have different thoughts than young girls. To listen to more Backroom Talk, be sure to subscribe. Learn to design personalized programs with the OPEX system of coaching by heading to opexfit.com. So guys, we're, uh, we're gonna do this a little bit differently this week. Uh, instead of having a guest, Carl and I are gonna sit down, we're gonna shoot the shit about some, I hope I didn't offend anyone with uh, my curse there. Are we okay? You guys are cool, right? <laughs> So we're, we're going to talk about some stuff that's going on in the fitness world and, and beyond as well. And uh, yeah, just, just weigh in a little bit, share our opinions from uh, this little corner in the world that we exist in, in Scottsdale, Arizona. Yeah, let's start with uh, the CrossFit Games. Yeah. That's, so that's next week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, as we sit here and film this on the 13th of October, I believe it's October. It is October. Okay, cool. Um so next week, and this is, it's, it's relevant to us at OPEX because it's kind of an homage to 2007 and James won the 2007 games, first games. So they're going to call it, they're calling it 2007 plus. So the idea is that they're going to, or the perceived idea is that they're going to repeat all of the 2007 events and then do some more uh, just because volume back then is a little bit different than uh, high volume now, but before we talk about that, let's talk about the events themselves. So event number one was the hopper. So the hopper was a thousand meter row buy-in and then finishing off with five rounds for time of 25 pull-ups and seven, seven push jerks. What were the weights on those? Um, so on the pull-up, it was body weight, Georgia. Uh, thank um, you, Carl. <laughs> and then I think it was one... Gosh, one fifty-five or one thirty-five, one fifty. I I have I to can't look at remember. it. Let me as as we chat on this. Let me let me make sure that we get that right. Um, but anyway, uh, so it's the hopper and then it's the trail run, which was about five k. Yep. Um, so I think they called it like five k ish trail run, and then ended with the CrossFit total, so a squat, a press, and a deadlift. Um, so yeah, they're gonna redo that. The interesting thing is. Are they going to redo that exact workout, the hopper, or are they actually going to go back to the hopper, put those things in there? And just in case you guys don't know what the hopper is, it's almost like if, if you guys have played like old school bingo and you're like doing this thing and you pick out some things, um, that's what they did in 2007. But are they going to do that or are they going to do the hopper? Like, what are they going to do, do the event itself? To me, it's more interesting if they go back and they just kind of randomize it a little bit just to see uh you know what what kind of comes up there totally i mean those events uh obviously a total like we're just gonna see heavier weights than we saw back in 2007 but uh if it is just those three events uh flat 
it's not going to be the most exciting uh, expression of fitness given like the changes in the playing field from now versus 2007. Yeah, I think it'd be it's always interesting to look at like what what was done in 2007 versus what can be done in 2020 because they did they redid the hopper in 2013 and uh just for for reference brett marshall came in at 1307 and finished first in that workout and josh bridges was like 833 and came in first so you can kind of just imagine the differences in that amount of time um so 2013 to 2020 what would the differences be there um so that's that's always interesting so just looking back at you know what we were capable of doing uh you know back in 2007 versus what we're capable of doing now is always just an interesting thing definitely is and gosh uh i guess the reason we're speculating about this for those that don't have the context is dave castro leaked a little uh, post-it note was it yesterday he leaked it or a day before yesterday. Yeah, 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 alluding to the fact that these uh, 2007 events are going to be making making an appearance. And gosh, I know it was like, I'm not in the CrossFit space on a regular basis anymore, but it was such a big part of my life for a while when uh, Dave gave those little tips, like playing the guessing game of like, what's going to happen? What what do you what do you predict? Like, what do you make of this like crazy trodden on flower that's on the pavement that uh that he's posted a photo of i loved that what did any of those actually end up being anything i don't think so because i remember when when those were at like their uh their highest popularity was when i was actually in the sport and like i would look at those things and i'm like okay got to get ready for this could possibly be that and then the workout would come out and you'd like look back at like the the tip and you're like that had nothing to do with what this thing is but i guess it goes to show um, I think he was kind of just fucking around with everyone and goes to show like, you know, how people can be influenced by, you know, just one dude kind of sitting behind his computer, drawing on a post-it note and posting it on Instagram. Totally. I mean, what do you think? Uh, so we're coming up on the games, not this weekend, the weekend after. What do you think the audience is going to be like for that, given we don't have this, you know, massive event at a stadium, given the online format so far? Yeah, so I think, uh, I believe they're going to try to mimic what the NBA did, where it's like create a bubble. So the NBA created a bumble, bubble in Orlando. They finished out the regular season, and then they went through the entire playoff there. And then the Lakers just won the championship a couple of days ago. So they were in the bubble for like, gosh 45 or 60 days or something like that where it's like they're in a hotel they couldn't leave if they every time they came back to the hotel they had to get covid tested like if anyone ever tested positive they got kicked out of the bubble so crossfit's going to do something similar to that where all of the athletes are going to go in i believe it's like wednesday or thursday i think it's wednesday they're going to be tested um if that test comes back negative now they're inside of the bubble if it comes back uh positive then they can't compete that weekend of course and then they're just going to keep everything nice and contained. But I think they're going to do a, a pretty, uh, I, I would suppose they do a decent live stream of it because they did put out a live stream schedule out. I think it was this morning. So audience wise, I don't think it's going to be in existence. I think anyone that's in the bubble is going to be the only audience. And I think athletes have like themselves in a plus one or two or something like that. Um, so I think that's the extent of it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that affects people's performances. And I guess they're professional athletes, so you hope they go out and they uh, they do what they got to do regardless of whether they're in a stadium or whether they are, you know, just there with their plus one and the film crew around them. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, if that messes with anyone. I don't think so because you, when you look at stage one and what they had to do for stage one, it was like, you know, they're – 
at home or in their gym or on like a track and they had, you know, a judge with them and maybe a couple people around them and they're doing all of these, you know, uh, crazy events outside of their element um, relevant to competition. But I think athletes are just so used to, you know, jumping into an online format and competing for six weeks, right, every weekend or having a, an amount of work to do over six weeks um, or just like hitting, you know, local event uh, weekend competitions and stuff like that. So I don't know. I don't think I don't think people are going to be weaker or slower um, just because there's not, you know, a bunch of people around them screaming. If anything, it might actually um, affect the, the athletes in a positive way where it's like pressures down. It's just me, these other athletes, and we're just kind of in our element doing our thing. You don't get like that audience of kids there, though, inspired to be the next generation of athletes. It's true. Yeah, that is true. Yep. Were you one of those? Uh, (laughs) No, I was realistic. (laughs) I was there. I was wearing, I went to the, to watch the games in 2013 in Carson. Um, Slight side note, funny story, but I was at UCLA at the time. Uh, None of my friends at school did CrossFit. I decided that I wanted to go and watch the games that weekend by myself. Some athletes from my gym in Australia were there competing, so I knew I was going to get to go and watch them. Uh, Decided to take a bus from UCLA to Carson. Uh, Ended up getting on the wrong bus and got kicked off the bus incompetent, uh, which is like not exactly the place that you want to be <laughs> home home of home of snoop dog dr yeah. dre yeah love i love compton yeah one no the, one of the nicest places really in the lovely place <laughs> to be stuck in like bright pink hot shorts <laughs> <laughs> on my way to uh the crossfit games figured it out i ended up getting a cab and uh, made it there but yeah that was my that was my games experience little australian girl in compton <sighs> just picture that yeah, <laughs> so it was a sketchy uh, couple couple hours there, but I made it. Yeah, so yeah, we'll see. Um, James and I will hit this uh, in in a garage or something like that. Probably th- we're gonna go for this weekend, but if uh, if we're not able to go this weekend, we'll go next. Um, but it'll be interesting to look at James and what he's able to do. You know, at forty six versus what he was able to do back in twenty oh seven. I think he'll actually improve all scores except for his trail run. Um, ooh, CrossFit total would be tough for him right now just because he's not, you know, uh, strapping it up anymore like that. Any, but I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he'll match his CrossFit total at least, and I think he'll decrease time in the trail run, but who knows how long that thing was. So it's going to be difficult to understand what's an actual – uh, replication of that event and between the two of you who's gonna win oh man I, I hate to go there you know actually I don't hate to, I'd love to go there um so I think I would beat James in everything um to include these three events okay okay bold statement there Carl uh, I don't think it's very bold I think it's just reality you know I'm just a very realistic person I'm just kidding James um you're pretty fit <laughs> <laughs> pretty fit for a 40 yeah, pretty, six, yeah, four, yeah, 44 yeah, 40 yeah yeah well we're gonna make sure we uh we stream that live for you guys and then have some clips after you can, so you can see uh the original 2007 uh games champ take on those workouts again uh 13 years later yeah yeah we'll see how that goes um let's transition a little bit let's talk about what's happening in the fitness world and we talked about it before we hit record here but we're in such our we're in such a bubble right where it's like 
things that we're seeing across, you know, OPEX gyms and OPEX CCP coaches. We hear so many positive stories and like, this is how I'm making it through COVID and this is how I'm making it through, you know, a potential economic recession and all of that. But the reality is, is that we're in the beginning stages of this thing and relative to the fitness industry and outside of our little bubble, this thing is impacting the industry as a whole massively, massively. Just talking about, you know, all of the commercial gyms that are filing for chapter 11 bankruptcy. Uh, gosh, right now, I think we have uh, 24 hour fitness as a part of that group. Um, we have crunch fitness as a part of that group. And then there's a couple more. Um, and then, you know, there's some other players that are, that are kind of on the fringe there, but I'm not going to say anything. So I'm not sure if the, if that's going to actually happen. Um, but kind of going down a couple levels, it's like, yeah, that's happening at a commercial gym level, but what's happening to, uh, coaches and trainers that are inside of these gyms. Um, what was it? Online PT Academy. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. They, PT DC. Yeah. They put out a survey. Let me kind of look at these numbers really quick. Um, so based on, based on the survey that they put out, so the title is COVID 19s impact on personal trainers. So just to kind of wrap this thing up quickly, 58% of personal trainers lost some or all of their income. So it's like, you know, how many lost a hundred dollars versus, you know, $10,000 a month, right? So all it's saying is 58% lost some or all, uh, 23% of personal trainers were furloughed or laid off. And of course, we're seeing that here locally as well with like local commercial gyms shutting down and PTs now no no longer have clients to train. And uh, these these companies aren't offering like any programs for them to scale their own personal businesses. So that's an obvious thing with the gyms actually shutting down. And then uh, 6% ish of personal trainers hadn't yet found new jobs. So I think that's actually the most promising stat is, you know, 6% of personal trainers are still um, or only 6% haven't found a, a new, a new job or a new career. But I think what's interesting is the amount of, amount of trainers and coaches that are leaving the industry as a whole. And that's what we're seeing a lot of right now, but we're also seeing a lot of new coaches, new trainers come into the industry because fitness isn't in a bubble where we're the only industry that was impacted by this. You know, bankers were impacted by this, uh, flight attendants were impacted, like everyone's being impacted by it. So we're seeing at a, a similar or even larger rate of people getting into the fitness industry from other industries. So it's almost a wash when we look at the amount of coaches and trainers in the industry. But kind of going back to my, my first point, what is interesting is we're actually seeing the opposite, right, with our coaches that we're talking to on a daily basis and our coaches that are inside of OPEX gyms because they're not, they're not seeing this happen um, outside of places that you know, uh, that are a little bit more strict on, on, um, you know, requirements to open and, and requirements to operate your business like New York city and stuff like that. So that's, that's the interesting thing to me. Um, and, and we're kind of biased, right. But I think we keep our, we keep a pulse on, on the industry and what's happening as a whole. But what are your thoughts on that survey relevant to, cause you talk to coaches every single day, right? Like you're putting people into this program. So what are your thoughts on, this survey versus your conversations that you're having with coaches on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, looking at the survey uh, coming from the Online Personal Trainer Academy, obviously there was some bias. And you, when you read through it, like you could definitely see that they were promoting the idea that 
online personal training is the way to go. And uh, there were some positive stats in there showing that I think online trainers were less affected than other kinds of trainers. There's a bunch of trainers that have moved from in-person to online training, which is great. Like that's positive stuff. And we certainly see that in our world too. And a big part of the reason why our coaches have been able to be successful when their gyms are closed is that they were able to pivot online and I know like quite a few coaches CCP coaches personally who did the in-person thing and they've actually decided that they want to coach online have you know grown from 15 to 60 clients I'm thinking of one coach off the top of my head right now uh, over the last few months and uh, are making that shift into the online arena how realistic it is for every single trainer that is in person to be able to make that switch that's what I'm curious about and whether it's lasting like is online training something people are going to want ongoing I don't know yeah I think the people that are seeing successes right now online are outliers they are right and I'm not saying that it's not possible to build an online business and all that but it's just so crowded the market is so crowded Um, Once you get into that game, you're not only competing with other coaches and trainers that have an online presence, but you're also competing with influencers that are selling this thing online for $10 a month um, and that have great bodies and, uh, you know, and great physiques. You're also competing with uh, technology as well. Um, You're also competing with people that are still able to um, have their their on-site businesses still going and operating. Um, so the, the competition is so high, and I think the people that we're seeing having success is people that have kind of a, a, a reputable brand or a reputable name um, in their communities, and it's being grown at a local level. And I know we talk about that local remote thing a lot, um, especially since COVID hit. Um, but the people that are trying to like say, you know, this is Carl's remote coaching company and I want to coach someone in Portugal. It's like, that's probably not going to work for me. And for it to work for me, I'm going to have to spend a lot of money in advertising to play that game. For sure. And the other thing I've seen, the coaches that are successful, they are successful in a space that already understands the value of a coach. So a lot of people going from a CrossFit gym to doing online training um, or an OPEX gym where people come to be coached. They don't just come to like get a good workout. You know, they want that broader relationship and they see the value there. Going from, you know, a lifetime or an EOS or, you know, another like big chain personal training gym to this online coaching relationship, that's like people don't understand the value of that yet. Uh, And so I see that being really challenging for a personal trainer who's trying to get the clients who pay them, you know, for 30 minutes for three hours per week, you know, to come and train to understand why it would be valuable to have an online coaching relationship and not just follow a group template program and do their workout at home. Yeah. It's also important to understand that the, the magic isn't in the model, right? So it's like online isn't going to save you. ID isn't going to save you. Group isn't going to save you. PT isn't going to save you. It's, it's all about you and the, the compounding habits and the compounding skills and all of that, that you've acquired as a coach slash trainer and how you can and what model works best with you and your set of skills um because we see we see ultra successful pts right so it's it's unfair for us to say that's a terrible model no one should be doing that because the pt that's 
you know, making, you know, 50 K a month is like on the other side, like what's wrong with this model? I'm crushing it right now. We see group gym owners that are doing really, really well, right? Like they're making a lot of money and they're having a great time doing it. So, um, it's always bias. Biasness always comes in when we're like, you know, this model is better than that model. Um, you know, we think we have a great model, but we're realistic and we're like, not every coach and trainer fits well inside of our model. Um, so that's also important to understand just cause it's relevant to online training. It's like going online, isn't going to save you, right? If you're a terrible online coach or trainer, you're not going to be successful online. So that's really important for coaches to understand. It's like, take a step back and it's like, ask yourself, what do you want to do? What are you actually good at? Or what do you want to put the time in to get good at and go that way? And, you know, don't, don't read a, don't read a survey like this and think like, Ooh, this is going to save me. <laughs> I need to go online. Cause that's where I'm going to make a million dollars. Yeah. I mean, as well as the coaches, uh, not every coach being a good fit for that online setting. I think the client side is like just a glaringly obvious issue. Like there is such a small pool of people that are suited and ready for a remote coaching relationship. Yep. And gosh, we can, we can talk about that forever, but people are so nuanced and naturally we're just, our, our attention span is like this, right? So we get disinterested in types of fitness very, very often. Um, and we've, we've seen it across the, across the globe and clients and being in one model for an amount of time. And they're just like, yeah, I'm a little bit bored and I want to do something else. And that's just so natural. Right. So that's why it's important to, you know, teach clients things as you have them. And, you know, like we say, try to build that autonomy because those are the clients that are going to really appreciate what you're giving them and sometimes that appreciation for what you gave them is no longer needed and they move on but you know when we start to look at retention and how long can we you know hold on to clients it's like it's it's tough to at a at a large at a, let's let's say large scale like we have outliers where we've had clients for 10 years right but um it's it's difficult to have a book of clients that have all been with you for more than two years like naturally 18 to 24 months is kind of the life cycle of a, of a client. We're just pushing really hard to push that number to the right a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, and, and we've done it, right? We've done it in OPEX gyms because that is well over 24 months for, for gyms that have been up and running for that amount of time. But it's like, why is that? Is it the autonomy? Is it the relationship that coach was able to build with that client? Does the client, or is it like the opposite of autonomy where the, the client's like, oh my gosh, I've gotten so much value from my coach. I couldn't imagine not having them because now I, I wouldn't know how to do this on my own, right? Um, so the jury's kind of still out on that, but I think that's that's a great point. And it's like clients are so nuanced and it's, it's tough to, every client in the world wanted to train online in May, right? I think we've kind of shifted out of that a little bit, even though we're still in this pandemic. So last point on that survey, uh, and that is that we are seeing this influx of new trainers coming into the space as well as people moving on and leaving it. And like you said, it's probably a wash, like it's probably even, evening out, but we know that there are less gyms out there, uh, less jobs available for those trainers to go and work in. What do you see happening there? And I know that's a big question. Yeah, I think it's human nature to go back to homeostasis. I think in anything, it's it's human nature. We can look at the financial world and it's like we see ups and downs and, 
you know, the term is like, let's wait until the, the market normalizes, right? That's kind of the same across the board. So I do think the, the industry will normalize, but I think the normal will look a little bit different where, you know, coaches will want to be a little bit more efficient in the way that they coach people. Coaches and trainers will kind of be thinking about what their uh, what their backup plan is just in case something like this happens again, because right now the chances are really high that it happens again. But all that is to say that I think um, I think it'll normalize and I think it's already starting to normalize like people are getting back into gyms. Um, you have a, an amount of people that are still afraid to go back and, you know, that's OK. Right. Like, you know, people are in different circumstances and, you know, COVID's a very scary thing for some people. And for others, they're like, I feel like I'm healthy and I'm not worried about this thing at all. But I don't think the I don't think the industry has been shaken to a point where 2021 is going to look like some back to the future shit where we're doing like something totally different than what we're doing now. I just think, uh, you know, players are slowly coming into the space, like your apples and all of that. And we've talked about that so many times, but I think that is just so positive because it's, it's telling every single person that owns one of these things, these phones that fitness is important, right? It's like, I think awareness will increase. Um, people will realize that it actually is important to be healthy. Um, gosh, what did Jeever say last week? He said something that was that was actually really good. Um, he said uh, it was almost like you know we're we're practicing for the big game, right? And the big game is here, or something like that. And the big game is COVID. Um, so it's like, have you been doing the right things leading up to this thing? Because now we're all being tested. Um, and I, I mean, like, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> we're being tested in a way where it's like, oh, if I get this thing, what's going to happen to me, right? Because if we're, if we're a type two diabetic, we're probably really scared. You know what I mean? We're scared to go out. We're scared to go out without a mask and all of that. Um, but I think, you know, health and wellness has been kind of put on a little bit more of a pedestal, not, not to a point where, you know, mcdonald's is shutting down though right it's like <laughs> but i think it, the awareness has just increased so incrementally that it it helps it helps the industry yeah i mean that is such a great point around uh the fact that many many more people are wearing an apple watch and carrying in an iphone that then currently prioritize health and fitness and to the fact that at least they're going to have access to it because there's a lot of people that don't have access um financially they can't afford a trainer or to go to the gym uh, a fitness plus uh, membership is going to be a lot more affordable for those people and maybe it's a gateway maybe it's something that they start to do and they start to feel better and look better and just enjoy their life more and then they figure out ways to prioritize health um, because they've had that gateway experience so fingers crossed <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i'm gosh i'm a glass half full type person so yeah that's the yeah, good I one think, right? yeah i think uh, yeah i think that's a good one but i think um I think we'll be okay as an industry. Um, let's just leave it at that. I think yeah. we'll be good. So I want to get like a little bit personal for a minute because we're sitting here and we're having a conversation about the fitness industry. Um, why Why are you having this conversation with me? How did you get into the fitness space? Why is this something you're passionate about? And uh, I know that was a lot of a lot of whys, but what's your what's your fitness origin story, Carl? Oh man, yeah, fitness to me was something that I did selfishly so 
I was, I can, I can actually remember the day that I was like, okay, fitness is now a part of my life. It was, gosh, I was probably 11, 11 or 12 years old. Um, I was, gosh, I was playing like baseball, football, uh, basketball, um, and like I wasn't I wasn't like your typical seven, eight, nine year old that was like watching cartoons and like, you know, going out and playing like, uh, you know, fantasy games with their friends. I was like watching ESPN. I was watching SportsCenter. I was study like literally studying the back of trading cards to remember uh, the colleges every player went to their height, their weight, their statistics. Um, it was just weird. Right. Like that was my that was my outlet like sport okay um and i remember sitting gosh it was after it was after a little league game um and i was a decent little league player um and i'd struck out gosh i think i struck out like three times for the first time in my life i had like four at bats i struck out three times and didn't get a hit on my fourth one so i was oh for four and i went home and i was watching a baseball game and i remember it was it was a Cubs game and Sammy Sosa was batting. And I just remember looking at him. I'm like, that dude is pretty big. And that was before he was actually big. You know, when you're a kid and you look at like, remember seeing like Vin Diesel and you're like, that dude is massive. And you get older and you're like, he wasn't that big. I think young boys have different <laughs> thoughts than young girls. I don't think I ever thought that about Vin Diesel as a nine-year-old. Girl. Emma shook her head. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Cute. Okay, cool. Vin. You're cool, bro, but you, you weren't that big. Um, but anyway, I was watching a baseball game, and I was like, man, he's he's a big dude. And I was like, I, that's that's what I'm missing. Like, I need, to, I need to get stronger. I need to get stronger. I need to get faster, and that'll make me a better baseball player. And then I'll be a better football player, and then I'll be a better basketball player. So naturally, I went to the bookstore, and I bought Arnold's Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding. And because that's, that's all I – that's – when I thought of lifting weights, I was just like, okay, Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? So I went, I bought that book um, that was like on a, it was on a weekend. So it was on a Saturday, Monday, I was in the gym with two of my friends that I talked into coming to the gym with me and I designed our training program. So I went through, I looked at like arms and like quadriceps workout and uh, ham or exercises, hamstring exercises. And I just like put this thing together based on what Arnold recommended in that book. So I built out like this weekly plan and Arnold was like, you have to be really consistent. You have to do these things over and over and over again, and you'll be able to lift more weights over time. So that's like periodization, but I wasn't thinking like that in my head. So I was like, okay, I'm going to put this four day thing together and I'm going to go to the gym. And on Monday, I'm going to do this on Tuesday. I'm going to do that on Thursday. I'm going to do, and I'm 13, right? 12 or 13. And you know, a month passed and it was no longer me and my two friends. It was just me. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I'd be begging like, cause I have much older brothers and sisters, but I, I'm begging like my brothers and my sisters or my mom to drop me off at the gym and, you know, just leave me there for four hours and let me do my thing. And then I would just kind of figure out, figure it out and, and find my way home. That was a really long story, but that's like the origin, right? I was, it was, I need to get stronger so I can be better at this sport because being better at this sport is going to allow me to go to college for free. Right. And it's going to like bring me notoriety. Um, real, like I was a little bit obsessed with that idea of being good, like being really, really good at sports as a kid. And 
two years passes. I'm 15. I'm 15 years old. I go from, you know, 120 pounds as a 12 year old to 180 pounds as a 15, 16 year old. And it was like an addiction, right? I was like, yeah, I feel really good. I'm performing really well. Um, kind of like, you know, I got to that 15, 16 year old age and I like, you know, put, I put uh, basketball and baseball aside and I was like, I'm going to focus on this football thing. And I just used it as in my head, I was like, I'm lifting weights and I'm exercising to be better at this sport. So I was just like messing around with all different types of programs and, you know, going to camps at University of Michigan and Notre Dame and stuff like that. And like trying to like learn from these strength coaches, right? Like everyone's going there for the head coach, but I'm like looking at the strength coach and like asking him questions in the corner so I can like build this awesome training program that I'm, that I'm bringing home. Um, and then, you know, high school's over, go to college. Um, I'm playing college football and I'm still attracted to lifting weights and exercising. And I'm, I fooled myself all those years thinking that I was doing it to be better at football, but I was actually doing it because it was such a challenge to me. And it was, it was more of a challenge than the sport itself. Um, and I remember very, very specifically when I knew my football career was over, the first feeling that I had was, okay, now I can work out without giving a shit if I get better or worse at football. And that was like, that was so relieving to me. So I'm like, okay, I'm finally done with this thing. Now I can just like go into the gym and explore a little bit. Um, and my, my collegiate strength conditioning coach, uh, Danny Laramie was a, Charles Poliquin was his like really, really good friend slash mentor. So when I was a junior in college, I had a great opportunity to go to Rhode Island and, and spend time with Charles and learn directly from him. And at that time I was like, I got to live this fitness thing. Right. Because I knew that I knew that I wasn't going to play football until I was 40. Right. I just like, wasn't good enough. So I was like, okay, fitness is it. And, um, based off of conversations with Charles, people on his staff, my collegiate strength and conditioning coach that I saw like lose his job, go get another job, lose that job, and then get out of the strength conditioning game altogether because, you know, he was doing a great job on the strength conditioning side, but his team, the team wasn't winning. So I was like, oh, shit, do I want to do that? And I remember uh, Charles was like, the dumbest thing that you could do is put your future in the hands of a head coach that knows nothing about strength conditioning. And I was like, what do you mean by that? He's like, if you do awesome at your job, and your players all get stronger, they get faster, you're fulfilled, but your coach doesn't know how to run a good offense, you're going to get fired. And I was like, oh, shit, that's a good point. So at that time, I was like, okay, I need to reimagine this thing. And that was like, you know, 07, 8, 9, and that's when CrossFit became a thing. That's when I was introduced to James through Charles, and the kind of the world just kind of came together. And during that time, I was thinking about doing fitness for other reasons than being better at football. And I think James just kind of came into the picture at a really good time because he was a dude that was thinking, I wouldn't say similar things because he was like thinking about much larger things than I was as a college kid, but he was thinking about uh, ways of putting strength and conditioning together in a way that doesn't only lead to being better at this or that or that. He was like, hey, let's get good at everything. And obviously it was because of his experiences in CrossFit and all of that, but that was kind of the introduction met James, uh, you know, took OPT, CCP, and my my thoughts around 
strength conditioning and exercise and all that just completely changed. So James had a much bigger impact than even Charles did on me because Charles was like one of these guys that would see someone doing something and just say, that's fucking stupid. Don't do that. James wasn't like that, right? He was like, yeah, that might be stupid for this person, but that could actually have some uh, some benefit for this person if these are the... And I was like, ooh, yeah, I like that. So that's that was very, very long-winded, but that was kind of like the path from a 12-year-old kid trying to get bigger, stronger, and faster to be better at baseball and not strike out three times to meeting Charles and eventually James, and then here we are today. That's awesome. Um, I think that a lot of coaches listening will appreciate hearing you talk, uh, you know, with such uh, fondness about that transition into into just loving fitness. And there was a bunch of weird shit in there as well that I didn't mention, like, you know, tr- personal training that I did and different models of fitness and, you know, uh, doing spin classes and, like, a bunch of random things that I've tried and, you know, uh, that I tried to implement in my own practice throughout that. But um, we could talk about, like, those specific things another time. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, save them for another conversation for sure. Yeah. Cool. Um, I guess last thing I want to finish with, because I just finished this book, and uh, it's called The Righteous Mind. It's by Jonathan Haidt. Uh, If you haven't read it, I would recommend that you do so. And the reason it's like so on my mind right now is I feel like every conversation that I have with my husband at the dinner table is like, why, why does no one get along? Like, why are we all having such like hot headed conversations? Why are we all shutting people down? And obviously like a lot of this has to do with the political climate right now. And we don't have to go there, but I see a lot of people that I, I really respect for the most part saying things that I don't respect, which includes like just shutting people down um, and just not being open to having conversation and really struggling to engage in like open discourse and trying to work together. It's just like this, you know, putting up, putting up of the wall. And there was a big takeaway from that book. There's a lot of takeaways inside of it guys, but like one thing I want to leave you guys to think about and uh, to maybe dig in and research a little more around is this notion of the elephant and the rider that Jonathan Haidt talks about. And so basically... He, he also talked about that in uh, Coddling as yes, well, right? Yes, yeah. he did indeed. Um, I think he's come back to that a lot of times, but it takes a guiding principle that he kind of builds off. Um, but basically, like the notion is, think about yourself and your reasoning, uh, like your conscious mind. So when you're making decisions and like you feel like you're thinking rationally, think about that as a small rider sitting on a very, very large elephant. And that large elephant that your rational mind is sitting upon, that is your moral intuitions. It is everything that has happened to you, your genetics, uh, your what he calls like your moral matrix and the different things that guide uh, your moral intuitions. all of those things that are not rational, that are not like your conscious brain and like, you you know, you making the decision to pick the peanut butter sandwich over the cheese sandwich. It's all of the things that make you prefer that peanut butter sandwich without you even realizing why you prefer that sandwich. And so it is so easy for us to be 
I don't want to say victims, but we are we're at the whim of this very, very large elephant that we're sitting upon. And as this small rider, it's really hard to change our course. It's hard for us to, you know, make that elephant move in another direction. And so what it comes down to is he says that, you know, we are led by intuition first and we follow that up with strategic reasoning. So our intuitions lead us. Uh, we we we're for some reason our intuition says we prefer peanut butter and then after that we reason as to why we chose that peanut butter sandwich and uh you know maybe it's because we've read something about vegan diets and we don't eat dairy anymore and our strategic reasoning you know helps us choose that this is a really silly example but we reason with ourselves as to why we chose that peanut butter over the cheese but it's not actually that strategic reasoning that made the decision for us it's our intuition and so, gosh, I, we're, we're coaches. We have conversations with people from all over. And sometimes our clients do things that just like seem totally irrational or strange and just like not, we can't understand them. It's like you, someone does something and you're like, you want to grab them and you want to shake them and say, why, why did you do that? Why do you think that way? But if you start thinking of other people as as that, as that elephant on, or not that elephant on a rider, as a rider on an elephant, it's going to help you cut them some slack and uh, just be able to understand that we are not all like super rational thinkers and we are subject to things that we don't even understand. And gosh, I... I don't know exactly where I want to go with this. It's just something that's really frustrating me at the moment. And it's that inability for us to, uh, yeah, to really cut, cut each other a break and, and hear each other out and realize that it's a, it, not everything that the other side does is going to be rational. And they're not doing that with malicious intent. It's more that, you know, intuitions, uh, intuitions have, have blinded them to uh, the decisions they're making. Yeah, the, f the funny thing is, is the, the frustration that you're feeling, just kind of hearing you talk through that, I'm like, yeah, Georgia has, you know, this elephant that other people don't have, right? So um, if we were to look at it, at the elephant at a very specific level, <laughs> like the, the peanut butter and the cheese sandwich versus right or wrong, right? So if someone's elephant tells them that something is wrong, or right, they're going to be on either side of that, right? And, you know, just because uh, politics are relevant, um, that's what we're seeing a lot right now. Like, people believe so much in one thing or multiple things, and they may not even understand why they believe in them. It could be upbringing. It could be experiences. Um, they could have believed something else before, and based on one of those experiences, they now changed the way that they feel and they feel so strongly about this thing that they're going to shame anyone that's not on their side because they actually feel like they're right and everyone else is wrong. I think the interesting thing about right or wrong, like actions and um, thoughts and behaviors and all of that stuff, there is no such thing as right and wrong. It's just, they're, they're just there, right? So in our culture, if you walked outside naked, people would say, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. But in a different culture, if you were to walk outside naked, people would be like, yeah, everyone's doing that, right? So it's like the action of walking outside naked is just an action depending on our elephant and what culture we're in or experiences or whatever, that makes that action right or wrong. So I think, I think, um, 
especially in this country right now and, and what we're dealing with across the board and what we've dealt with this entire year. Like, it's been a fucking weird year, right? It's like our brains have been all over the place. Um, and the pandemic was kind of just like, boom, icing on top of this thing. But it challenged a lot of people. Um, it challenged a lot of, like, even having conversations around racism and uh, the pandemic and just kind of your your upbringing and thoughts. Like, a lot of people felt like, um, like they were walking on eggshells because they were just like, ooh, I don't know if I want to tell people the way that I feel because I don't know if they're going to be offended or if, or I don't know if they're just going to like burn me at the stake because it wasn't, it isn't what they wanted to hear. Right. So I think, uh, I think the idea and the principle of the rider and the elephant is so, it's so good and it's relevant, especially today. So I, I appreciate you bringing that up today, but it's, um, I think we can, I think we can kind of extrapolate that a little bit and there's a lot of different levels. So like the peanut butter level is like, you know, here, right. But it's like, you know, if we start talking about more, more, more impactful things or like more serious things and we start talking about like, what does someone think is right or wrong? Or if we get into the coaching business and we're like, what is your moral compass, right? Like what do you believe morally? Um, and we have one here, right? It's like, there's things that we believe, um, and another group or another company or another platform may believe something totally different, but I think it's always important to, to take a step back and say, that's not wrong what they believe. It's just what they believe. Um, so I think that's kind of the takeaway that, that I took from, from you kind of laying that out. Gosh, definitely. I mean, my elephant, uh, if we're talking about relative to fitness, my elephant today in OPEX land versus my elephant, uh, you know, five years ago in CrossFit land and the decisions I made um, that I thought were totally rational and justified based on those two, there's two different worlds that I've existed in now. Uh, yeah, completely, completely different. But I do really just hope that uh, if there's one thing you guys can take from this, it is to next time you have a conversation with someone just see them as that rider on that very big elephant and recognize that they are coming to that conversation with like a different different elephant to your elephant and uh like i said before just just cut them a little bit of slack and hear them out and uh recognize that they may not be speaking rationally and they may that sounds bad (laughs) 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 they made up well none of us none of us are really thinking rationally we're all uh subject to our moral intuitions and we reason based on them so just remember that when you have conversations all righty so uh so guys thanks for uh, listening in today and we will be doing these uh, little carl and georgia backroom talk episodes every now and then uh and we'd love to make sure we chat about stuff you're interested in so if you could just drop us a comment below and let us know what subjects would you like us to dig into and we will absolutely so long as they're not crazy we'll absolutely uh, hit on those in future weeks and we will ride our elephants to our conclusions answers thoughts any of the above (laughs) 